All right, so I know many of you have been looking forward to chapter 2 of Daniel. Daniel chapter 2, right? Yes, because, <laughs> because of Bible prophecy. You love Bible prophecy and you just, you, you just, you love getting into what might, what it, what it might mean and, and, and like when it, when it might happen. And Daniel chapter two has some important truths that God wants us to understand about world history. Okay. About what world history, you know, past, present, and even future. So Daniel chapter two and going forward, fill with a lot of prophecy. People often ask me, you know, are we living in the last days? You know, they want to know if we're living in the last days. And a lot of people ask me, you know, because they really want to talk about the battle between Jesus and the Antichrist and, and what's going to happen and when is it going to, when is it going to happen? Do you think it's, you think it's going to be, it's going to be soon? Well, I think Daniel chapter two is an amazing chapter because it begins 600 years before the birth of Christ, and then it encompasses all the years since then and beyond. So it talks to us about the future, and it, and, 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 and it talks about the unknown, and all these incredible things. So it basically talks about the return of Christ, and the establishment of his kingdom. So Daniel chapter 2, 600 years before the birth of Jesus Christ is laying out all of this, all these exciting things that are going to happen. It reveals the rise and fall of four powerful world empires and goes through all of those things. So we have that in our minds. That's Daniel chapter 2. So let's continue with our story. And I won't get into all the details. You can grab the, the CDs from the last few weeks. But, you know, Daniel... Uh, and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are taken captive by the Babylonians, King Nebuchadnezzar. He takes them from Jerusalem, he takes them to Babylonia, and then they're indoctrinated into Babylonian culture and the arts and, you know, their religion, all of those things, all those things. And, and they go through a th- three-year period where they're, where they're in, I say, indoctrinated, if you will. And then after that three-year period, they're going to be tested by the king. And so they go through the three-year period in verse 18, and, and they're tested by the king, and, and they come out, oh, you know, top of their class. They pass with flying colors. I mean, these are the, these are the top guys. So now they are brought into the, into the king's council. They're one of his wise men. You think, bam, you know, they've arrived, but not, not so fast. Because sometimes when you think things are going well for you, yeah, little turn for the worse. So now, moving forward with our story, King Nebuchadnezzar is having trouble sleeping. He's having a difficult time sleeping. I think that's something that we can, we can all relate to, right? He's having trouble sleeping. And I, honestly, if he, if, he would have, if he would have been around today, he could have listened to the podcast from a few weeks ago on anxiety, helping him sleep. That would have helped him a lot, but, it, you know, sorry. So in Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says this. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians and the enchanters and the sorcerers and the astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. Now, one of the lessons that we can learn from these verses right away is money and power, money and power do not exempt you from the troubles and the stresses and the difficulties of life. 
He's laying there and he's dream. He's gotten. He has these dreams and he and he can't sleep. The most powerful man in the world. Okay, you'd think you'd sleep like a baby, if you will, because you've got everything. Got the tiger by the tail. You're powerful. You've got resources, but he couldn't sleep because he couldn't figure out this dream. He had trouble sleeping. And when he woke up, he's in and out of these dreams. When he woke up, he calls all of his mystical, if you will, experts together and his wise men. And he says to them, this is very important. Okay, he says to them, I want you to tell me my dream. And then I want you to give me the meaning of that dream. So he calls them all together. And you can just imagine if you're one of those guys, there's hundreds of them. Okay, calls them together, says, "Okay, here's what I I can't sleep. This is really bothering me. And so I want you to you guys, I've I've trained you. We've given you all the best food. We've given you all the best that that this world can offer. Your minds are now sharp. You've gotten you know, you've gotten trained in all these areas, astrology and all. And so I want you to tell me my dream, what I dreamt, and then I want you to interpret it for me. So these guys, normally, they come in and they say, yeah, hey, king, live forever. You're awesome, okay? We love you to death. Just tell us your dream, and then we'll tell you what it means. And he says, no, you tell me what it means. You tell me what I dreamed, and now you tell me what it means. And they say again, well, you know, just tell us, listen, give us a few details. There doesn't have to be much, just a few details, and we'll tell you, you know, what it means. Kind of like those psychics and, you know, mystics on TV, you know. They get enough information about people, and they start talking, and they're like, oh, you mentioned your aunt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody here have an aunt? And someone raises it. Yeah, you mentioned your aunt. Now, now. Your aunt is, is a woman. Yes, yes, yes. She's a woman right on target. And your aunt is older than you. Yes, yes, she's older than me. You're amazing. And, and, and do you have some unfinished business with your aunt? Yes, I do. I have some unfinished business. My aunt died and she, and she owes me money. She owes me money. And wait, I'm sensing that you're feeling... Hurt. I'm not hurt. I'm angry. Well, no, I didn't mean hurt. I meant angry. You're angry because your aunt has not paid you. She hasn't paid you back. Is that right? Yeah, because she's dead. Yeah, and, and she hasn't paid you back. And, and, you're, and you're frustrated. You're angry about that. And wait, wait, I'm getting. And they put their fingers like this because this somehow channels people into their heads. And wait, your aunt, your aunt's saying something to me. And then they will the fingers. It makes them more spiritual. And you're, she says, you're a bold-faced liar. That you won, she won that money, money fair and square from you in a game of, wait, poker? I never played poker. No, I'm not poker. Par, Parcheesi? Um, pinochle? Uh, you know, and, that, and basically they go through all these things. Yes, it was pinochle. Well, the P. I, I had the P. I didn't really get the rest of it. But yeah, pinochle. See, the king is not the king because he's stupid and gullible. So he says to them, this is his, listen, this is important for the whole morning. This is the man's worldview, okay? His gods, Bel, right? And Marduk. So he's got these gods and, and this is his worldview. And so he's saying to his, the people who basically the foundation of his worldview, I need you to tell me my dream and then I need you to tell me what it means. And they come to him and they said, listen, king. Love you to death, man. But no man on earth can do that. They said, I'm sorry, that's impossible for any man to do. And so Nebuchadnezzar says, let me tell you what's not impossible. Me killing every single one of you, cutting your body into little pieces. That's what he said. I'm going to cut you into little pieces. I'm going to burn your houses into rubble. 
because you're not answering my question. Now we have a problem. Okay, the problem now is Nebuchadnezzar is enraged. He's ticked off. These are the people he's invested all this time into. He's asked them the questions and they're wise and they're supposed to be enchanters and they're supposed to be mystics and they're supposed to be astrologers and look at this and tell me everything I need to hear. My foundation of my worldview is built upon that. The problem here for us is, if you will, in biblical worldview, is that poor old Daniel, right? And Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they're caught up in this mess. They're caught up because now they're one of the wise. These are some of the wise men, right? They went through all the training. They're some of the wise men. So they're, they're in the off with your head, cut you into little cubes crowd, all right, in this group. So Daniel's like, oh, man. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. He wants us not only to interpret his dream. He wants us to tell us what his dream is. So Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they go and they, they pray for God's guidance, they seek God's guidance. And then in Daniel chapter 2, verse 19 through 23, it says this. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and season. He, dispo- he, he deposes kings and raises others up. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells in him. I, I thank you and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we ask of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. So, Daniel, all right, can you imagine, just imagine this, okay? The king asks you not only to, because you can, oh, that means blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? You can, you can make something up and sound really good because you're probably an expert at how to making things up. So Daniel is now stuck as he's going to be, you know, pieces burned, whatever the case may be. He prays to God and God gives him the answer. God not only gives him the, the interpretation of the dream, he gives him the dream itself, which obviously can only come from God. You got, there are people, you're surrounded by a bunch of people in the world who, are, who can manipulate you and, you know, they can, quote, read your mind and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's a game. It's a trick of, of, you know, you get experts on how to do those kinds of things. But there's a difference between that and God actually revealing the dream that the king had. So Daniel was just excited about that. He was excited that he was praising God. And you can imagine, you can, I read that to you. You can imagine, though, the enthusiasm which he prayed. I thank you, God in heaven. I praise you for being a God who knows all things and, and gave those realities to us. And he's just praising God for that. Now, things get even more interesting. But here's what we need to do, because when you get into chapter two, what happens to Christians sometimes is they get they get all caught up in the prophecy part and they, they want to focus on the, the, the prophecies and, and, you know, and they make it an intellectual exercise. But they just want to see how this fits into that and how that fits into this and kind of like in the future. And so and so we search the past to learn about the future, but we forget the present. We forget the present. And there's a, a verse that I love when people ask me questions and I don't know the answer to them because I don't know all the answers to every question that anyone could ask. I say some of them don't have answers. So I, use, I say I take the 29th. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children. 
And so sometimes we get so caught up in we talk about the past and the prophecies of the past and now how it relates to what's going to happen in the future and the present and how we live our lives, what I do today, how I impact the lives of the people around me and how I invest in the lives of the orphans and widows and how we live our own, the, the holiness of God. Does studying prophecy make you holier? Does it make you, does it help you become more like Jesus Christ? Because that's the goal here. Understanding, understanding the past and understanding what might happen in the future should bring about holiness in our lives. So that's really what I want to focus on. I want to focus on the things that we can learn. God reveals some important truths that we can apply to our lives right now through these passages. So the first thing that we can learn is that people are limited. Okay, they are they are they are limited in their ability to control or understand the world around them. Human beings are limited in their control of or understanding of the world around them. Nebuchadnezzar, he, 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 he may have been the most powerful man in the world at this point. He's rich, he's powerful, but he was helpless to understand his own dream. Totally helpless, and it was, it was really bothering him. It went beyond just, I can't figure this out. There was more going on internally, but he was helpless to understand his own dream. Power and money can only get you so far in this world. Money cannot buy the answers to life's most fundamental questions. No matter how powerful you are, no matter how much money you have, no matter how smart you think you are, honestly, at the end of the day, your resources, your money will not buy the answers to life's most important questions. That's number one. Second, your worldview is only as strong as the foundation on which it rests. Hear me out. Your worldview... You come in, maybe you come into church for the first time or second time, whatever else, and you have a worldview. You're out there in the world. You have a certain worldview, a secular worldview, whatever you want to call it. Your worldview is only as strong as a foundation on which it rests. The Babylonians put stock. They put so much stock in their ability to interpret dreams and to be able to predict the future, to know the future. That's why they spent all this time training all these people, astrology and all this mystical stuff. They, they, their worldview was built on the foundation that they could interpret dreams and they could know the future. And that's the, you know, just go to their God here, go to that God there. And they could they could figure it all out. But when it came time for them to produce the answers that the king wanted and needed, they failed miserably. Now, this is your you're the king. This is your worldview. You bring you have hundreds of these people. All right. And you believe that they're going to be able to tell you. And he's at least at least I give him I give him credit for this. Some people live in this la-la land and won't really address their worldview, won't really argue their worldview with other people because they're afraid their worldview doesn't have, that's built on sand. At least Nebuchadnezzar went to his men and he said this. He said, listen, not only do I want you to give me interpretation because that's, this was important to him. These dreams were plaguing him. He knew they had significance. He didn't want to hear blah, 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 blah. You know what I'm saying? He wanted to know what did I dream and then interpret my dream. Because that, that, my friends, will tell you if your worldview is real or not, if it's true or not. So Nebuchadnezzar, though with all his powers, he couldn't, he couldn't do that. So our worldview is only as strong as a foundation on which it rests. Your worldview, okay, 
is completely worthless if it cannot answer the most fundamental questions of life. You can, you can hold to whatever worldview and walk around and talk and spew whatever thoughts and ideas that you have in your head, but your worldview is completely worthless if it doesn't answer the most fundamental questions of life. Where did I come from? I remember, I mean, that was I, when I was younger, I would think about where did I come from? Like, you know, so where did I come from? Who am I? That song we sang, I know who I am, I know who I am, I know I am yours and you are mine. Who am I? What is my purpose in life? What is my purpose? His, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, that was, that was important. What is this dream and how do I fit in? And so, number one, where did I come from? Number two, okay, what is my purpose? Who am I? My identity, my identity. And then what is my purpose in this world? And then where am I going? If your worldview doesn't answer the most fundamental questions of life, then your worldview is worthless. Nebuchadnezzar had to deal with an age-old reality that you cannot escape. Life without God, the one true God, is completely meaningless and leaves you empty. Leaves you empty. Now, you can avoid the conversation in your mind. You can kind of try to shut it out, whatever the case may be. But the reality is life without God is completely and utter, utterly without purpose and without meaning. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar had to deal with. Without God, the most fundamental questions of your life cannot be answered Nebuchadnezzar wanted to know his dream because somehow he understood that these dreams were, were, were basically given by God. They were sent by God as a revelation of things to come. And Nebuchadnezzar was a man. He was just a man. And he wanted to know how his story, these were intense dreams. It wasn't like waking up going, oh, I kind of, you know, I woke up naked in my school. You know what I'm saying? That, that's not what it is. He had these intense dreams and he wanted to know, he wanted to understand how my story, how does my my story, my purpose in this world fit into the overall picture. This was important to him. These were life altering questions. This was the foundation of your of your reality, if you will. So he's going through this. He knew that it would help him understand that if he could just get the answer to his question. That's why he was so I'm sure he had to come in and answer questions about other things. This one, this one was significant. And he knew if I could understand, if I understand it, I'll understand how I fit in to the big picture. Pascal said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person, in the heart of every man that only God can fill. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person that only God can fill. The king wanted to understand his dream because he wanted to understand deeper truths. This wasn't just about a dream. He wanted to understand the deeper truths. And when his worldview failed to, to, to answer okay, the desires of his heart, What was going on in his heart when his mystical expert failed to answer and fulfill that empty and fill that empty void that he was feeling. He became enraged. He became enraged. Tell me what my dream was and tell me the answer. Well, you know, no one could do that. Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut you up into little pieces. I'm going to burn your homes to rubble. In other words, kill all your families. Okay, your lives are pretty much toast. Why was he, why would he go to that extent? I mean, is he a madman? Who's how how can anyone know what you were thinking, let alone know what you're dreaming? 
And then if you don't know my dream and you can't interpret my dream, I'm going to cut you up. This because he was enraged. It went beyond just, well, you can't answer my question. Well, you know, not everyone's perfect. He needed you all. I need to know this stuff. We as human beings need to know where did I come from? How did how 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 did I how did I get here? Most people most people feel this way at some point in their lives. I remember for me it started about 7 or 8 years old. I remember laying in my bed and thinking to myself, okay, I'm here. I'm real. And so how did I get here? Not just how did I get in my bed, but how did I get here? Because at some point, I would go back in my mind, at some point, there were no stars and there were no, there were no planets and, and there was nothing. So then how could nothing have created everything and then created me? How is that possible? And, it wasn't, and, and, I, and then as I got older, in my, from, from seven or eight years old up to 16, 17 years old, I also was interacting into, in a world that was constantly, honestly, for me, for me, wasn't the most enjoyable place to live. Going to a different school every year for like kindergarten through sixth, seventh grade or whatever. Going into new environments. You know, people would say, well, people are good at heart. That's not what I, that's not the experience that I had. And so everything that I was being taught by the world went completely against the reality that I saw. And by 17 years old, I was enraged as a young man. Enraged. Because I looked around the world. I didn't like the way the world was. I didn't like the way people treated other people. I didn't like what I saw on television. I didn't like the Cold War. I didn't like, now you've got terrorists. And I didn't like it. I, you know, back then, we at least didn't have the terrorists like we have them today. But I didn't like what I was seeing. And, and for me, I was enraged. Each one of us goes through those questioning times in our lives. Who am I? What is my purpose? How did I get here? How does my life, how does my single life, how do our individual lives fit into God's grand epic story? That's what really, honestly, I think that's what Nebuchadnezzar wanted to know. Not knowing your purpose first, not knowing your purpose, then not knowing Knowing the fact that if you don't know your purpose, that you can't fulfill your purpose, if you will, the purpose for your life. Knowing something is missing and not being able to figure out, you know, will that and not fill that void creates intense feelings. And you all know this. If you if you've intellectually walked through this process, you know, if you can't answer those questions of who am I and why am I here and what is my purpose and where am I going when this is all over? If you don't have to increase these intense feelings. And then here's the thing about our culture. Taking God out of the equation creates a hopelessness. You want to understand what's going on in our culture all around this country? You want to understand what's going on in the inner city sometimes? You take God out of the equation and it creates hopelessness and hopelessness turns to rage. It turns to rage. So give people a break sometimes instead of just saying, well, that's why these people act that way or those people act this way because, because, because. They act the way they act sometimes, okay, whether it's, whether it's in the inner cities or whether it's in the suburbs or whether it's in the rural areas. They act the way they act sometimes because they feel hopeless by what they've been taught, that they're, you take God out of the equation, it creates a hopelessness in human beings who are thinking human beings. It creates a hopelessness, and then that creates a rage. Daniel chapter 2, verses 27 and 28 
puts it clearly, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. You take God out of the equation and there's no revelation of mysteries. And there's no revelation of why am I here and what is my purpose and where am I going? How did I get here? That is taken out of the equation. There are no, and, and basically Daniel is saying, no wise man, no, I'll just say no teacher, no coach, no whatever can explain to you the mysteries that you're asking about. Only a God in heaven can do that. Only a God in heaven. When our human power falls short, when, 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 we, when we don't have the mental capacity to kind of process these things through, when, when we're searching for answers and we come up empty, God, our God, is just getting started. We need to do what Daniel did. We need to go before God. We need to ask God, show me who I am. I am. We sing that song, but do we know, do you know your, do you, do you understand your identity and who you are in Christ? Do you know what your purpose is in life? Do you know why you're here and how you fit into God's epic story? Those are only things that only the one who designed you can tell you. And so people sometimes see there's a God in heaven who can answer the burning questions in your heart. But other than that God in heaven, there are no answers. You take God of the equation and you're no more significant than a worm. Why would a worm ask what my purpose is on this earth? You were born... You something, some magical, impossible thing happened where nothing created everything. And then lightning hit the, the, the primordial soup, wherever that came from. And then somehow some one celled thing crawled out after a while. And there you are sitting in here in 2017. What are you whining about? There is no purpose in life whatsoever. You're here. You're born. You die. Boom. It's over. That there's your answer right there. And anyone that tells you anything different than that is selling you something, okay? But there's no God. There is no purpose in life. It's very simple. So then my question is, how do, how do, you, how do, we, how do people handle Nebuchadnezzar's dilemma, if you will? How do they handle it when you're faced with those kinds of realities? Well, I think people handle it in one of three ways. One of three ways. Three ways that people respond to, to mysteries, okay? Number one. They are enraged with the realities they see around them. They don't, they don't, they, they engage it. They don't shut their minds off. They engage it. And so they keep going. They, keep, they try to figure out how we can make the world better and everything else. But the reality is the world never gets, seem, never seems to get much better. And so after a while, they're enraged by what they see, by the relationships that have fallen apart in their lives, by the things that happen that seem to have no rhyme nor reason, and they're enraged. I, am, I was one of those people until I was 17 years old. I was enraged. I didn't like the way the world functioned. I didn't like the way people treated each other. I didn't like when people would give me answers to, to my questions that, that honestly made no logical sense to reality. So I was enraged. The second thing, the second thing that people will normally do is what Ravi Zacharias calls the soft pillow approach. So, so some of us become enraged at what we see, right? Before I came to Christ, that's what was me. All right, so the second group of people, they become kind of enraged, but then all of a sudden they just, they go to sleep. They turn their, I don't care how smart people are. They, they intellectually turn it off. 
They mentally turn it off because they can't take that. And so Ravi Zacharias says they take the soft pillow approach. When, when they're dealt difficulties in their lives, when they're dealt with, when they, when they deal with things, when they can't answer the question or they're facing difficult um, arguments, they just kind of shut down. I was on a plane and I was flying home from, I believe it was Mexico. And I'm not the person who usually gets on the plane and starts up a conversation with someone. If they want to be left alone, just leave them alone. I have things to study and I have things to think about. So I just read something. I don't bother anyone. But if you start a conversation with me, all bets are off. Because I don't care if you start a conversation about toilet bowls, I'll bring it back to Jesus. You know what I mean? Yeah, toilet bowls. And I was just sitting there and thinking about Christ now. And then so... (laughs) And so I always bring it back. So this one guy was a professor and I thought, well, this will be interesting. So he's asking me what I do and, you know, why am I going on this mission trip? And he says, tell me what you believe about abortion. Let's just, just he said, let's debate abortion a little bit because I'm, I'm really curious about what you believe. I said, you really want to have this discussion? He said, yeah, absolutely. So I said, all right, let me, let's go through your arguments first. Bing, bing, bing. Took all of like, what, 30 seconds. Arguments are done. All right. And then I started going through. Abortion, And I started going through the reality of what abortion is. I said, well, here's what here's how they abort children. This is why I'm opposed, because blah, blah, blah. And I went I started in a partial birth abortion. He said, no, I, I don't want to no, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I said, what do you mean? You don't want to talk about it anymore. I, so, and I, I said, it's not what I really want to talk. I don't want to talk about this anymore. And I was stunned. I was actually stunned because here here's the argument. Here's the here is the way of handling this. When, when life throws things at you that you don't want to deal with, it's the la, la, la approach, right? La, 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 I can't hear you. La, 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 I can't hear you. That's what he did. He basically, he didn't do that for real, but that's what he was saying. Don't say anything else. Don't, you're, because, because, because you're bothering my worldview. You're affecting my world. Now you're talking reality. I don't want to deal with reality. I'm going to go to sleep. I'm going to go to sleep now. I'm going to get my, you know, flight attendant. Can you bring me a pillow? I need to go to sleep now because I don't want to talk about this any longer. And that's what people do. Or number three, what people do is they go to God and ask that he would reveal to them the mysteries that are, they're struggling with. So they turn to God for understanding. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego turned to God for understanding. They went to him and they said, you know, all of us, seriously, if you're a believer for years, you have struggled with questions that have really bothered you. Even as a mature believer, you haven't gone to sleep, you struggle with those things. But you struggle, you keep struggling with them. You keep asking the questions. You may get to a point where you have to take, you have to understand Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children. You may come to realize that you cannot, you will never understand, you will never truly understand that mystery this side of heaven. But we know where we're going and someday we'll have the mind of Christ and all these questions that we, we don't have the answers for now will be answered. Most of them can be answered here. Some of them cannot be answered here. If I think about this, if I can answer all your questions, you'd worship me, right? If I can answer every question, the reason I believe the Bible is true is because there are things in the Bible that I cannot comprehend. I cannot comprehend. Another reason I believe the Bible is completely true is the Bible doesn't tell me what I want to hear. It tells me what's true. It tells me what God wants me to hear, not what Jeff wants to hear all the time. 
So that's, that's, what, that's, what, that's what being a believer is all about. We seek after God. He says, come, let us reason together. We process through those things. We don't allow ourselves to be enraged because we have a God who has the answers. We don't go to sleep when someone confronts us with questions that we can't answer. We find the answer to the questions. Always be ready to give an answer to those who ask, right? With gentleness and respect. We need to try to know as many answers as we can. No one has all the answers for everything that's ever asked. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. One day we will have the mind of Christ and one day we will have those answers. And what I want to get across this morning is that there are things that we can do now. There, there, we can engage in people's lives now. We can help change people's lives now. Not just thinking about the future, but thinking about the present. What God wants us to learn through Nebuchadnezzar now. His, his response, his being enraged, teaches us something about our own lives and what we can, what we can apply to our lives right now. Okay, so let's talk about the dream itself and the prophecies next week. All right. Now you're all mad. <laughs> we're out of time. We got, and I want to close with communion. I want to close with communion because I want us to spend some time with the Lord thinking about Jesus Christ, thinking about what he's done in our lives, thinking about, I mean, remember Daniel, Daniel's just so excited about, you know, God in heaven and this is what you've done and, you know, my, you're, you're the God of my ancestors and you're so powerful and you've given me power and wisdom and understanding. We need to be praising and thanking God like that this morning for having answers to the most foundational questions in all of humanity. God has the answers to where did I come from what is my purpose? Who am I? What's my identity? Okay, and where am I going? A Christian worldview has answers for those questions. And a non-Christian worldview does not have answers to those questions. And we want to thank and praise God that he's revealed those answers to us through his word. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23. I'm going to read that through and then I'm going to pray for the bread and for the cup. And when I'm finished praying for the bread and for the cup, if you're here for the first time, as long as you know the Lord, you're welcome to take communion with us. What you do, we don't have, we don't just kind of pass it along. There's, there's tables set up in the back. The bread is there and the cup is there. When I'm finished praying, you don't have to wait for anyone else. You just go back. You take the bread. You take the cup. You can sit back down in your seat. You pray and then take, take communion, okay, as the Spirit leads you. We'll be singing a song here, and I'll pray at the end. So I'm going to read. I'm going to pray. You can get up, take the bread, the cup. You sit back down as the Spirit leads you, okay? And then I'll close out in prayer so everybody feels comfortable. Maybe you've never been here before. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have a God who can reveal mysteries. We have a God who can answer life's most challenging questions, most profound questions. And that we are not left empty, void, frustrated and overwhelmed because we don't have answers to any of life's most foundational questions. And we praise you and thank you for that. And thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, 
and the revelation that comes through Jesus Christ and the fulfillment of prophecy through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for his body, which was given for us on the cross. And Father, we pray that you would help us to offer up our bodies now in the present to offer up our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. May this be our spiritual act of worship this morning. Father, we thank you for the cup, which symbolizes your blood, which was shed for us. And because it was shed for us, now we can enter into the Holy of Holies. We can come into the very presence of the Father, into your presence, through your Son, Jesus Christ, and the sacrifice that he made on the cross. So, Father, we want to dwell on you. We want to dwell on your Son, Jesus Christ. We want to remember what was done for us. And not only think about what was done for us 2,000 years ago, but in the present world, that because of what Jesus Christ did, we have, we have answers, Lord God. We can live our lives abundantly, fruitfully. We can understand who we are. We can understand what our purpose is in this world. We can understand how that plays into your big picture of what you want to accomplish in developing and establishing your kingdom. And we are grateful and thankful for that. So let us dwell on that, Lord, as we take communion and remember your son. In Jesus' name, amen. God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can spend together. We pray, dear God, that we would leave this place with a sense of excitement and enthusiasm, knowing that you walk with us every step of the way. Father, we pray that you give us opportunity to just share the love of Jesus Christ with all those around us. Father, help us to understand the mysteries. Help us to understand the realities of this world. That we would use your word and the strength you've given us and the purpose for which you created us to truly make a difference in this world that desperately needs you. We love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and for what he means to each one of us. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Have a great week.